Y'all remember COVID? <laughs> that was last year, we thought, but it's still around. So we'll pray for that. Okay, let's pray. You all want to stand? Why don't you all stand and we'll join together in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you now and we are thankful, Lord, for gathering us here. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, we can call on you. And, Lord, we can also exhort one another and we can praise you. And there's so many things we can do and we're here to do all of them that we can here in this morning. And so I pray for my brother Jeremy as he exhorts us to love your kingdom and hate unrighteousness, hate wickedness. I pray that you would anoint him, anoint our ears as we hear. We also just pray for Olive Tina Conkle, Lord, and I pray that you would draw her to repentance. I pray for David and Cheryl, and I pray that you'd comfort them. I pray, Lord, that, Lord, you would just give, give her a hatred for sin and somehow work miracles and let her see these miracles and speak to her today, as well as so many others, Lord, that have been deceived by sin. We just, our hearts break. We know so many, so many that are so close to us, Father. We just pray that somehow revival would come. And I pray that your kingdom would be built. I pray for this All Nations Bible Translation Project, Lord, that is uh, being spoken about tonight. I pray, God, that our meeting would be pleasing, but even more that the, the people going out into the harvest, you would anoint them, you would send them, you would call more laborers, Lord, that it would be your work. Lord, we pray for cam and the rebuilding up at detroit that you would direct that give safety and direction and let the love of jesus shine through those of us that go i pray god for i thank you lord for this uh, stanley warfel's wife and her extended family thank you lord there's repentance thank you lord that prayers are coming to fruition so many years down the road i just pray that you would save these souls and build your kingdom lord and uh the bowers family Give comfort, Lord, on the anniversary of, of their daughters and wife and mother death. I just pray, God, that you would give comfort and, and peace during this time. And uh, for Charlie, pray that you'd call him to repentance. Just touch him today. And, and Kristen's extended, her mom's extended family, Lord, I pray that you would be at work and just diffuse these situations, whatever they are. And, and Lord, for health among us, and we just pray for the Erickson family and the COVID. Father, we know we're at a nation that's still reeling from the effects of this. I pray, God, that you'd grant healing there and wisdom. But, Lord, once again, we just commit this service to you. Commit Jeremy to you as he shares, exhorts us. Help us, Lord, to go home different. Help our fellowship afterward to be building to upbuilding to your kingdom and to each other. We just commit our time in Jesus, to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you both. You can be seated. Well, greetings in the name of Jesus. Yes, that is my goal to um, exhort you this morning. Um, we need that. We need to be exhorted. The scripture says if Peter, the apostle Peter that walked with Jesus were to hear this morning, he would do that. He would exhort us. And, and we can read his words. We can read Paul's words. We can read James' words. We can read Jude's words. And Peter would tell us to gird up the loins of our mind. Think about that. Gird up the loins. There's somehow some kind of thing in our mind that we can gird up. We can, we can uh, shore up. We can strengthen. And that's what we need to do. We need to be reminded. Uh, Peter said, I will not cease to continually to remind you of these things until my temple is taken off. 
And so that's what we need to do is be girded up. We, we sang a song this morning. His truth forever stands secure. Amen. We can believe that. We can, we can, um, we can live that. We can come here in faith, sing that song from our hearts and mean it. His truth forever stands secure. I want to read you a quote. I read this quote. Uh, I was up at Western Interlock a couple of months ago. And uh, one of the owner's sons there read me this quote, and it really bothered me. And it's bothered me for the last couple of months. And it's exactly what we, we do need to gird up our minds about. And let me read you this quote, and then I'm going to read a couple other quotes here. But this is what the quote said. By the way, this quote was on, from my understanding, it was on the Oregon Department of Education's website. Okay, so it's an official website of our state that we live in here. And this quote said this. The concept of mathematics being purely objective is unequivocally false. Now, let me explain what the word objective means. Objective means not influenced by feelings or opinions. So what are they saying here? The concept, the idea that mathematics is not affected by feelings is unequivocally false. In other words, math now is relative. Math now is relative. And then they go on to say, and upholding the idea that there is always a right and a wrong answer, perpetuate objectivity as well as open conflict. Once again, objectivity is not influenced by personal feelings or opinions. Now, sadly, you know, it's not sad. I'm glad for it. We have a community here. We come here weekly. We talk about truth. We talk about things being not relative, being static. And we think that way, right? But that's not what the culture around us is doing. I just heard recently somebody was in college seven years ago and they uh, they were going to English class and they were talking about English and reading English books. And they said they just went back to college. And now he said it's changed in seven years. Now they're talking about, do you see this here in this English? This is this is a racial slam here. And this is white supremacy and and everything, everything in our society is turning around in a short amount of time. So this idea that truth is relative and it's creeping in and we may think, oh, but we're we're not uh, we're 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 insulated from that. You know, we're 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 Anabaptist people. Truth truth is not going to be relative. Well, let's talk about that a little bit this morning. Let's see how much sometimes these things um, come into our lives. Here's another quote. Um, So that quote actually was on the Oregon Department of uh, Education and they were quoting from a website called Equitable Math. Um, And on that same website, it says white supremacy culture shows us in math classrooms when the focus is on the right answer. So if you see this, the, the target here is there's no rights, there's no wrongs anymore. It's relative. In the same website, it says they're calling for teachers to avoid ideas that reinforce paternalism. Paternal is father. They're saying we need to stop enforcing the idea of a father. That is terrible. I want to read you one other thing. I was reading a book somebody gave me, and this uh, is a quote out of that book. And it goes, uh, it's actually a little story. Val Rust, an award-winning educating professor at the UCLA, was a pioneer in the field of comparative education and spent his time mentoring students from around the world. His students praised him for his compassion and integrity, but in a graduate-level class on dissertation preparation, 
he became the target of student protests. He was criticized for the political implications of what he deemed to be proper punctuation. Okay, so follow me. He's teaching a class and he's saying we need to have proper punctuation. Put your period here, put your comma here, right? Insisting that the students follow the Chicago manual of style for formatting their papers. This eventually resulted in radical students entering his classroom and, among other things, accusing him of racial microaggressions that have been directed at our, I can't even say this word, epistemologies, our intellectual rigor, and to a misconstruction of the methodical genealogies that we have shared with the class. In all this, neither the administration nor his colleagues defended Russ. Even when the dean announced that Russ would not be allowed to teach for a year, this was not enough for the radicals. The school pressured him to resign, and the administration pandered to the students. Nothing was said about the unaware, unwarranted displays of nar narcissistic victimhood, but a committee was formed to discuss the matter. Its final report stated, recently a group of our students have encouraged have courageously challenged us to reflect on how to enact our mission in our own community. We owe these students a debt of thanks. Let's, let's break that down. In other words, we're going to now oust a long-standing teacher because he is saying there are proper punctuation. We can't have proper things anymore. We can't have right and wrong. We can't say that a, a period should go here because that is saying that there's a right and a wrong. Now, many of our... Um, of the, of the church that's out there in this world would hear these things and say, we've got to take America back again. Let's go vote, right? Well, that's not right. But what the, the focus of the sermon is not at all in that way. The focus of this ser sermon is to evaluate what's going on in our society and in our culture around us and beware lest it come in among us. So the, the title of my sermon is How to Be Happy. <coughs> You may think to yourself, how in the world does that go along with what you just read, right? The subtitle is Learning to Love Authority. How many of you get excited and, you know, a big smile comes on your face when you get, you know, that little thing from the local government saying, you know, uh, you owe these taxes. <laughs> or you see that little speed limit sign that says you can't go any faster than this and you want to get somewhere. Or maybe some of you younger people. How many of you get excited when your dad says, no, you can't wear that? That's not going to happen in our home. Does it make you happy? <laughs> or uh, how many of you men that have a job and when your boss says, no, we're not going to do it that way. And that's not the way you thought it should go. You thought it should go this way. How many of you say that makes me happy? <laughs> Probably not. Right. No, because you know what? what's dangerous about our culture around right now? Listen to these words. We celebrate self-expression. Is that not the case? Think about social media. Think about Facebook. Think about Instagram. Think about all these, the Twitter, all of these things. What is it at a core when we analyze it? It's celebrating self-expression. What are the Anabaptist people about? The Anabaptist people are about unity, humility, not about self-expression, about individualism, right? But that's what this culture is telling us to do. And that's what I'm afraid. Without us knowing it, the devil is like a roaring lion. He will come in subtly 
You know, like I heard it said, if dandelions sold for $10,000, well, how many of you like dandelions? You want to get them out of your, your lawn, right? You want to kill them. But if they sold for $10,000, all of a sudden everybody would want to have a lawn of dandelions, right? That shows you how we are affected by our culture. And so without us realizing it, we are being drawn into a self-culture, self-esteem, individualism, celebrate diversity, right? Variety. And that's not what the Anabaptist people have been known for. The Anabaptists have been known for being a plain people, for saying, you know what? We're not going to stick out among each other. We're going to we're going to unify and we're going to fight this battle. So Peter tells us to gird up the loins of our mind as obedient children, as obedient children. So this morning, Roger said he's going to rebuke us. Oh, no, he said he's going to encourage us or exhort us. There you go. I found the right word. You know, the rebuke is in there, uh, too, right in the same line. (laughs) But he's going to exhort us. And that's what Peter says. Gird up. Let's go into our minds this morning and let's think about. Do we love authority? Do we love the things that God has instituted? Because God is a God of authority. I mean, from start to finish of this book, it's about authority. From the very first chapter, God gives some laws. He says, you may not eat. You may eat. What is the devil's first thing he says? Yea, hath God said. Right? He, question authority, right? That's the slogan. Yeah, he didn't mean it. He, what he, mean, he, he knows if you eat of it, you'll be like him. You'll be like a God, you'll, you know, and he doesn't want that. You see that immediate question authority. He doesn't mean it for your good. He means it for your bad. He doesn't want you to become a, 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 like a God. <clears throat> so we are witnessing in our society an all-out war against truth. Now, if you analyze this, truth when it's warred against, is actually a war against authority. Think about it. If one plus one is two, there's nothing you can do to change that. You have to conform to one plus one. What's interesting about this whole thing is even though they say math is relative, I don't think that would work so well for the IRS. Can you imagine sending back your tax return with that in, on there? You know, I've decided that your one plus one is not my one plus one, so I'm not paying my taxes this year. They know deep down that this is not really going to pan out. But what is really on attack at the end of the day is authority. Authority is being. uh, They want you to question. And this attack, I, I know it's been on since day one, but it's really been on attack since the last 100, 150 years. We'll talk about that some. So the idea of anarchy, I I never looked up this word before, but anarchy means, um, boy, okay, anarchy means a a government that says, you know what, we don't need authority, you know, we can just, we can just all follow our heart and do what we feel is best and we'll all get along, right? We'll all get along and we don't need laws, we don't need barriers. Now, how many of you feel that sometimes in your heart? I don't. I don't want a law. I just I think we could all get along. You know, this idealistic idea. Well, <clears throat> how does that work? <clears throat> we imagine that throwing off restraints will equal freedom. If left left alone, we could peacefully coexist. But the problem is, from one person's viewpoint, it's all 
it is right to love your neighbor. And from another, it's right to eat them. You get that? That's the truth. The problem with opinions is how do we ever combine that? How do we ever get to a place? Well, that's why we need God. That's why we need truth. The Bible talks about a time when everybody did what was right in his own eyes. But the devil wants us to believe that boundaries and laws are a curse. How many of you feel that? I mean, when you're told no, does that make you happy? It makes you feel like it's it makes you feel like it is a curse. We don't love it. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says this in Psalm 119. Great peace have they which love thy law. You did you get that? What it said? If you love God's authority structure, what do you get? What, what is the promise? Peace. That's not what the devil tells us, right? That's not what our heart tells us. Boundaries don't create peace. They create restraint. They create unhappiness, discouragement. But no, God says, when you fall in love with his authority and his way, you will have peace. <clears throat> Listen to this in Proverbs, where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, can anybody uh, finish it? He that keepeth the law, happy. You remember what I said at the beginning of this? How to be happy? See, you can be happy. True happiness. In fact, you know what? We think that we're getting happier. You know, social media's come out, Facebook, technology, um, all these things to serve us. iPhones. Selfies. Um, what are some other names? Do you see this chart? This is 1973. This is 2015. This says at the top, general happiness survey in the U.S. Are we getting happier? I would say, right, if I were to imagine where this line's going right now into 2020, it's really dropping off. We are going down in society as a happy society because we are throwing out truth. We are throwing out uh, God himself. Okay, and so in Second Timothy, it says that in the last days, if you want to turn there, Second Timothy, chapter three, in the last days, this is going to happen. They tell uh, Paul tells us what's going to happen. Verse one, in the last days, perilous, dangerous, grievous, whatever word you want to put there, but bad times shall come. And the first thing for men shall be lovers of what? Self. Would you say that that is a reflection of where we're at? Am I just dreaming things to think that we have become a society that loves itself? That's what we become. Notice a little bit later in verse 7 what it says. They love their own says. Now jump down to verse 7. He goes through a whole list. And then it says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Are we not there? We're throwing out truth left and right. Punctuation anymore is relative. Math is relative. Everything's relative. Men and women and your gender and everything is now relative. 
and were ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Does not that prove that we have absolute truth? And people can't come to it because of a block in their mind. <clears throat> in fact, Romans says that God will give them over to strong delusion because of the things that they have done. <clears throat> But we know that God is not this way. It says God is not the author of confusion. This is right when he gets done telling us how to run a church meeting. He gets done talking about women, what you should do and how the prophets should speak and how the songs should go and all these things. And even gives some laws like don't don't prophesy more than two or three. And then he says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. See, when we are in God's authority and do it God's way, we have peace. That's what the scripture teaches us. <clears throat> but Jude tells us that in his time, even in his day, people were creeping into the church, creeping in unaware, subtly, like a snake. And what were they teaching? They were despising dominions. They were speaking evil of governments. They were despising government, as Peter says, self-willed and not afraid to speak evil of dignities. This all tells me. That in their day, people were creeping in and tearing down authority. They were despising governments, dominions, and they were tearing them down. Even angels weren't willing to speak against the devil. Can you imagine, Michael? He's arguing and he's, he's fighting against with the devil for the body of Moses. And he says, I won't even speak to him. I will not rail against him because he's in some kind of authority structure. See, that shows me very clearly that God has authority and even the angels understand that authority structure. So I want to talk about this morning. Let's talk about the four spheres that God has designed, the four spheres of authority that God has designed. And let's learn to love these spheres. And let's learn not to have to. Um, I think we need to be very careful. The world wants to bully us. They want to push us into a corner and say, keep your ideas and your old school thinking to yourselves. And we all feel that, you know, we feel that when we read that verse, we're like, eh, I don't want to say that up in front of everybody because, you know, it's not popular anymore. It's not popular to teach us about women. It's not popular to teach us about husbands and wives. It's not popular to teach about the church having authority. So we'll just skirt around that. You know, that's not right. The truth will set us free, Jesus says. So we need to rebuke. We need to exhort. We need to talk about the things that God that means a lot to God. So let's first talk. I'll, I'll put way up here. The first authority overall is God. I know we all agree with that. Um, but how do we find God and how do we read about his authority and hear about his authority? Well, we do it through his word. The, the Bible tells us very clearly in Psalms that he has magnified his word. Can anybody repeat that? How does it go? Thou has magnified thy word. Above thy name. Have you thought about that? That God has a name, but he says, my word's even above that. He holds his word pretty high. It says that he has purified his words as silver tried in fire. Jesus tells us that we should not just eat bread and live by that alone, but what? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. <clears throat> Please turn to Isaiah 66. I'm going to put right here. 
what the, the main way I think that we that we find God's authority and his law is through his word. <clears throat> and, you know, I think we have grown so accustomed to having the Bible in our hand that we have we have lost. You remember what Glenn preached last week? You know, they saw the mighty miracles of God and all that stuff. And and then they came out and they started murmuring like it wasn't a day. And they already I mean, they just watched a whole ocean open up and they walked through and then they're already murmuring. We do that, right? We grow hardened. We forget. And so we forget sometimes God's word is right here among us. I want you to jump uh, to verse two. Well, no, verse one. Thus saith the Lord, 66 of Isaiah, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Stop there. God is saying, I'm looking for a place to rest. Where do I go? Where can I abide? I've made everything. Notice what he says in verse two. For all those things hath my hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. Even to him. That is poor and a contrite, broken spirit and trembleth at my word. Do you tremble at God's word? When Brother Roger read us all those verses about what Jesus taught about money, do we go home and tremble? Do we go home and think like, this is serious, like, woe to the rich, like, this is a serious thing. Or do we go home and go, that doesn't really matter. Like, that's just a different interpretation. When the, when the word of God is, is preached, do we tremble at it? Or have we grown accustomed? You know, you imagine Israel and they got this temple or this uh, tabernacle and this flame coming out the top. And, you know, and, uh, and some visitor comes in. What is that? And, oh, that's just God, right? Yeah, he's always here. Have we become that way with God's word? Or do we tremble? Because God says he'll be and dwell with those who tremble at his word. That's how much God wants us to see his word. So, John, Jesus says that we're sanctified through thy truth. How does it go after that? Anybody repeat it? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So God's word is our authority. It's truth. It sanctifies us. We're supposed to tremble at it. <clears throat> Jesus Christ himself was said, I am the word. And he said, all authority, which we're talking about right now, has been given to me. So we have Jesus Christ, all of his words, the things Brother Roger read a couple weeks ago with his words about money. We have all of the written words down in this book. And we should tremble at it because it is an authority in our life and it is being attacked. This society is attacking the word of God. Okay, now the next thing I want to talk about is we'll just put this down like this. All these spheres. So the next thing I want to say is, you know, we might get this pious idea that like... uh, Yep, it's the Word of God. I'm just going to go study the Word of God. It's just me and God, and we're going we're gonna to figure out God's will. <clears throat> and a lot of people do that. But the Scripture itself says that no, no prophecy of the Scripture is of private interpretation. 
You know what that means? God has set up some other spheres of authority. That sphere of authority is called the church. No scripture is a private interpretation. You can't, I mean, you need the church. You need your brothers and sisters. I know that Jesus was perfect and I know that he didn't have any children or he never got married. But I remember years ago, somebody else who wasn't Jesus called me and he said that uh, he said he was set free from sin. And I said, really? Great. I said, do you have you ever had, gotten married? No. Have you ever have you ever uh, had any children? No. Well, see, these these things that God has uh, these fears have been ordained of God to work some things out of us, to show us our imperfections. Uh, to refine us. So when we come to the church here, God wants to show us some problems in our life and show us how um, how we are independent, how we are rebellious in ways. <clears throat> so let's talk about the sphere of the church and see what some of the apostles said about that. Peter said, uh, sorry, he, this is whoever wrote Hebrews. He said, obey them that have the rule over you. Is rule any kind of an authority word? Did you say? Am I, am I okay to write that under here? So the church has some ruling to do. And then he tells you that are under that, whoever that is, to submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. So the church is supposed to have some kind of rule and people are to submit to that, right? Am I just crazy for reading that? Or is that right? It says they will give an account for your souls that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Okay, first Timothy 517. Let the elders that rule. Be well counted of double honor. First Thessalonians 512. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. First Peter five one, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that should be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, <clears throat> not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind. Likewise, you younger, submit unto the elder. So what I see here is that God has ordained sphere of influence called the church. And we're commanded to willingly submit to it. Willingly allow those above us, Brother Mark, to rule over us, right? Is that what the scripture says? Does that bring us happiness when we think about it? Because great peace, which they have that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. And happy is he that loves the law. So what I'm saying is if this is God's design, we should love it. We should do you remember Joseph, how he acted when he, when, when things didn't go right, when he got thrown into the pit and then he went along and uh, got, he did what's right with Potiphar's wife and got thrown into prison. The whole while through, he trusted God, right? And he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That is a great price before God. He loves to see people who get under authority even if the authority does something wrong, they still submit as to God. He loves it. Remember Jonathan, uh, how he walked his life? You know, here, here he should have been second in command, right? He should have been the next leader after Saul. And God said, no, we're going to have David be the leader. 
What did he do? Fight against God? No, he said, I'll be second to you, David. He quickly found the guy that should have been the second in co- or the, the next leader quickly saw that God's will was not for that, and he found his place. So the church is the first, or one of them. The second I'm going to put is the family. And in the family, we have two sub subgroups here. I'm going to put um, wife, husband, and uh, children. So I could preach a whole sermon on the people in authority, but that's not what it's about. It's under authority this morning. So we're loving to be under authority. So these two in the family we're going to talk about. First of all, let's talk about the wife. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read that the husband is the head of the wife. So what God teaches from his truth is that let, let's actually turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and we'll see this right laid out. <clears throat> Somebody read 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 for me. structure, right? First was who can say what's the top? Tell me what the top was. God. Okay, what was the next one? Christ. Okay, what was the next one? And what was the last? Is that what it said? So this is the authority structure. Now let me ask you something. Is Christ equal to God? But is he equal to God in authority? A little bit interesting, huh? See, Christ is equal to God in everything but authority. And he willingly, it says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He emptied himself. So, the way I read it is, Christ willingly has put himself not equal to God in authority. In fact, he says, he says very clearly that I will, not, I will not glorify myself. I will glorify the Father. Now, how should it be with man? He should find his authority under Christ. And how should it be a woman? She should find her authority. So every one of you wearing something on your head this morning, that's the purpose. You're saying, I agree with God's plan of authority. You're testifying to the world that, you know what, your whole society may say what they want, but God's way is better. It's a symbol of authority. You're saying, I am under subjection under the man. Wow. So, you know, some of these things I'm saying right now in 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years, when you guys are up here preaching, you might go to jail for this. Think about that. Are you going to stand here and say it, even if it's being recorded and it can be listened to later? You think those things, you know? Because this doesn't sound, it sounds chauvinist. It sounds like not what our culture accepts today. We want to come up with a way to say, this is not, you know, we want to apologize for it. But that's not what the Bible says. In fact, listen to what the Bible says. It says, in 1 Peter, it says, Likewise, you wives, 
Be in subjection to your own husbands. That if any obey not the word. Okay, there's that word up there on the top. So they don't obey. The husband, here's the wife. She says, my man is not obeying the word. If they don't obey the word, they also may without the word. In other words, you don't say anything. You're not chiding them. Be one by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Who's adorning. Now get this. Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold and putting on apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a great price. You know, you all are up here and you're wearing your beautiful dresses, but you're not putting on jewelry. You're not braiding your hair. You're not doing all those things. Why? Because according to Peter, God values more than jewelry and more than earrings a woman who has a meek and a quiet spirit. It says it's a great price. Great price. Do you find that the case? Do you find that being under subjection to your husband is, a, is an amazing thing to God, is a great price to God? It's a sacrifice that is a sweet-smelling savor to him? I mean, this stuff goes on. I mean, this sounds like... I mean, I read this and I think this is just so against our society. For after this manner in old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abram, calling him Lord. I mean, could you imagine if I came here and said, okay, all the ladies, you need to start calling your husband's Lord this week. Like that just, whoo. Definitely goes against what our society teaches. But if you could get anything, please get that subjection to your husband. And, and ultimately, what are you subjecting to? You're saying, God, what you say is proper. That is what I want to do. That's what I love. That subjection, when you willingly put yourself under, is a great price to God. Ephesians, wives, submit yourselves to your husband. Colossians, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. Titus, be keepers at home, chaste, discreet, obedient to their own husband. This stuff is not according to our social uh, norms. Be keepers at home, discreet. <clears throat> For it is not permitted to them to speak, it says. Let your, sorry, I jumped on. Let your women learn in silence with all subjection. Let your women keep silence. That was Titus. Timothy, sorry. First Corinthians. Let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted to them to speak. <clears throat> for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Why do we feel ashamed of these things? Why do I feel ashamed standing here preaching this to you? Why? Because the pressures of our society are telling us that these things are antiquated. They're old school. They're no longer truth. So if we're going to take that on, then let's just chuck the whole thing out and go home. Because we either, either God is telling us the truth or he's a liar. You can't mix the two. So in the same way, and you know what's crazy about this? In the military, this is not a problem, right? Think about it. Okay, the military says, uh, okay, two commanders or two generals are getting to talk. You know, the private is not going to sit there and interrupt the general and be like, excuse me, I have an opinion here, right? The private's going to say, I'm going to wait and ask him, you know, behind a closed door and say, is this right, what you're thinking? Like, it's, it's accepted in the military. 
And it's, it, it works, right? It's a law of wisdom that works. That there's a chain of command. That, that when the, the generals get together, they, they have certain things. And the next guy down, I don't know his name, but, or his office, but you know, he, he's got to respect that office. And it's all, it's, all, it's all laid out. They know it works. <clears throat> okay, so I'm running out of time. So let's talk about children. You knew it would come to you, right? Listen to this. It says, can you imagine sitting in Ephesus and hearing a command given to you? The epistles was written to Valley Christian Fellowship from one of the apostles. And he's re- I'm up here reading this epistle from Paul and you heard children. It's like me saying Matthew. You know, Hezekiah. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Colossians, when that church got their letter, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. The fact that that they're mentioned is an amazing thing. The fact that children are mentioned in the book of of Ephesians and the book to the Colossians. Isn't that an amazing thing that they're mentioned? They're expected to be sitting there and they're expected to be listening up and hearing. Obey your parents. Honor them. For this is right. This is well-pleasing. And guess what? There's a promise with it. You'll live long. Do you ever remember hearing the story of the Rechabites? Anybody remember that story? You guys remember the story of the Rechabites? Okay, I don't have time to really go into it in depth. But if you were to go to Jeremiah, you would hear about a family. And from my understanding, it was when they, the, the children of Israel were going to cross over in the promised land. And, and somehow Moses met them. I don't remember all of how. But in the end, they weren't quite with the Israelites. But they were living apart from them. And there came a time when there were some wars going on. And they came to Jerusalem. Because they said, you know, it's kind of dangerous out there. So let's get somewhere where it's a little safe. And it says in Jeremiah, it says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet, a prophet of God that speaks the word of God. It says, hey, go get that family, the Rechabites, bring them into the temple and give them some wine to drink. So he goes and gets them. He brings them to the temple, sits them down, says, drink some wine. And they said, we cannot drink wine. Our father told us never to drink wine, never to live in houses. Uh, I don't remember the rest of them, but stay this is what our father has commanded us. Now, think about this. Their father was, it wasn't him that told them. It was their grandfather that told their father that told them. This was a, over a 300 year period. Can you imagine your grandfather 300 years ago said, you know what? You guys all live in tents, okay? I don't want you to live in houses and never, you know, never drink wine. And to this day, you are still doing that. You were like, you know, the society around us, everybody has houses, everybody's living nice, but we need to live in tents. And not only that, then a prophet comes to you and says, come in here, come sit down. I've heard from the Lord. Sit down and drink wine. And you would say, I can't. My father has told me not to. That's pretty intense. The prophet told them. And you know what happened in that whole situation? God said, that's amazing. He said, Jeremiah, go tell all the people of Israel that look at this family, how they obey their father. Would you not even do that? Please, would you not? And he says, because of that, because you guys have obeyed your father, I will always have someone stand before me. One of your family will always stand in my presence. Can you imagine that? Like that shows how important obedience is. 
And yet, we think, ah, obedience, not a big deal. Well, God says it'll go well with you. God says your days will be long. God, it's the first commandment with a blessing, with a promise. Children, obey your parents, okay? I have to move on. Um, and your father probably has laws. I have laws. I tell my children, leave the phone on the counter from dinner time till after devotions. Why? Because I see what this world's doing to us. I see how it's ruining our family time. So I make a law. And what God would find a well sacrifice is to is to uh, willingly submit to your father's laws. Okay? <clears throat> the next one I'm going to put here is a workplace. Oh, I better put this up here. So another sphere, we have a church, we have the family, and we have the workplace. <clears throat> what does the Bible say about the workplace? Servants be obedient to them that are your masters. Servants be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh with fear and trembling. A Christian servant, when he went to his job every day, was supposed to have fear and trembling. Colossians, servant, obey all things, your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Let your servants count their masters worthy of all double honor or all honor. Sorry. Exhort servants to be obedient. So I'm going to say right now, I'm exhorting you workers, you employees. Sorry, Caleb. <laughs> Caleb works for me, so that's a little bit odd. But <clears throat> uh, <laughs> to be obedient to your masters, servants, be subject to your masters. Exhort servants to be obedient. This is not a small thing. It's in so many of the epistles. So what, what can we take home for that? If you're an employee, don't speak evil of your boss. I remember sitting in my job and my boss would sit upstairs and just clink away at the computer and I'd be doing all the tech work. And I remember thinking, oh, he just is a lazy guy up there. <clears throat> and then one day I did more of that stuff. And I realized, oh, there's a lot more to running a business than I ever thought. <clears throat> you don't know what it's like to be in that position. Don't speak evil. Don't mock him behind his back. Don't complain about him not giving you enough pay, time off, or benefit. You might likely don't understand. Are you not buying into this self-gratification of society? You live in a society where you can freely move on. Masters and servants in the Bible days didn't have that luxury. They were told to be obedient, not to complain, but to tremble, right? <clears throat> Okay, let's go to the last sphere. <clears throat> Close up. <clears throat> the government. Now, have you ever thought about, like, when, when, when the why, when, uh, let's see, how does that work? Yeah, when I was talking to these guys, when I get in the government, probably all the girls are like, yeah, I get him, right? Get that guy. <laughs> when I'm on the wife, all the guys are like, yeah, I get her, right? And the fathers are like, yes, speak to my children. Okay? Yeah, that's how we ought to... Thank you, John. That's how we feel. But let's look where we are. Every one of us is in an office somewhere. Every one of us needs to submit in some way. <clears throat> what does the Bible say? 
Romans 13 says, let every soul be subject to the higher authority. Let every soul be subject to the higher authority. Listen to this. For there is no authority but of God. The authorities that be are ordained of God. That is strong. If I was in Iraq, I would have to say, this Iraqi government over me has been ordained by God. It says that I'm supposed to be subject. And then it says this. Whosoever therefore resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. We're saying when you resist here, you're resisting God's whole plan of authority. And they shall receive damnation to themselves. Titus says, uh, Paul tells Titus, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, and to be ready to do every good work. Peter says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, for this is the will of God, as free. Wait a minute, do you feel like you're free? Do you get this? Do you see what it just said? As free. When you are in here, you're set free. You can be happy. And it says here, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of malicious, but as the servant of God. You can be in any one of these offices and realize, I'm free. And this is to God, and you can be happy. Look at the old Anabaptist confessions of faith. I've looked at them in the martyr's mirror. Look at what they talk about government and how they obey the government. I encourage you, see how the old Anabaptists looked at that. So, in conclusion, when we fight against any one of these offices, any one of these spheres, we're fighting against God. Can I make that conclusion? <clears throat> And we're giving into the lie of the devil that you would be happy if you could be like God yourself. What did the devil say? It, he says, I just want to be like God, right? He didn't say he wanted to be God. He just said he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be not have to submit in any one of these kinds of things. <clears throat> What does the Bible say about rebellion? Can anybody repeat that part? For rebellion as? That's intense. When we harden our heart against any one of these God-ordained spheres, it's as the sin of like you're a witch. Casting curses on people. So, back to that Isaiah 66. Do you tremble at his word? When you read God's word, you tremble at it. Because that's what even teaches us these things. If we didn't have God's word, we wouldn't even know these things. Do you tremble at it? And you say, Lord, help me to love your way, your way of authority. Let's be a people. I encourage each one here. Let's be a people who love God's design. Who have rest, who are happy because they love God's design of authority. Let's joyfully submit and trust in every office God has placed us in as to the Lord, but not to men and not to men. And I trust as we walk more and more in God's design, his peace and his joy and his happiness will rest on each one of us. Thank you. All right, well, thank you, Jeremy, for those thoughts. I wonder how many of you all are enjoying your freedom today in that sphere that uh, 
we are in that Jeremy laid out. Church, family, workplace, government, authority, rule. That's a realm of freedom. How many of you are enjoying that freedom? Maybe somebody has a thought. We're going to something you'd like to say, something that stuck out to you from the message, something that stuck out to you from your own personal experience, something that stuck out to you about what you uh, maybe have failed in. I'll just open it up here briefly. No conviction, just blessing. That's good. I listened to a sermon this morning. My uh, normal Sunday morning sermon, I usually get two of them. It's good. He did, um, he's going through a series. I guess so too, I yeah. Turned on first thing that was now, he was already hammered down. And about husband, I'm like, well, <laughs> he was in that church, he was cleaning, cleaning the husband's flock. I mean, it was, he was, his wagon was running straight down the road. I mean, he was just saying it the way it was. And it's not a proper message. Yeah. But Thank you for turning that off. Do you have a recommendation like who is this? Or is there a link? Smith or something like that? Okay. <laughs> I'll try to spell. Oh, okay. Do you really after the fact. After the fact. Okay. All right. Thank you, Glenn. Anyone else? Stephen and being able to stand and be 
Yeah, amen. And that's why right up at the top is God and His Word, and it's just about always the way He works is by people down here obeying the family, wife, you know, wife and husband, children, parents, workplace, and so on. Just about always, you say, I want to know what God's will is. Okay, well, look at these things. But there are a few exceptions. There are a few times when God says, do you really fear me? And are you willing to um, obey God rather than men? You know, there's, there's, there's those exception times that we have to know God in order to know when I'm in that exception. Because if you try to step out of that exception and think you're in an exception when you're really not, God says, I'm sorry, I, I told you what to do and you didn't obey. I mean, that's, now you're in trouble both with your earthly authority and with God. You ain't going to win. That's going to be bad news. And to go along with that, when we see those exceptions where people have rebelled against the government or um, because of the relationship with God and obeying God rather than men, um, in those times, they are doing what they can in other areas of authority to be under those authorities. Right. So, so often it's to be able to use that excuse. Maybe they rebel against the government in a certain area, but they struggle with church authority, they struggle with family authority, they struggle with workplace authority, mm-hmm. they struggle with all government. Right. Yeah, and along with that, exactly what Dad said, in those ultimate places where it was right, they would, if they had went along with the authority, they would have been stepping out of the highest authority is what God's will was. So the only time that we can get out of that authority structure is when the highest authority would be stepping out of His will all the lower. And it's kind of by the time you get to that place where you've lived your life in objecting, rebelling, twisting against all authority, and then you're faced with government telling you to do something that you really shouldn't do, you can't win. If you do what the government tells you to do at that point, you're rebelling against God. But if you say, oh, now's my chance to say I must obey God rather than men. Well, that's not going to work either because you've already proven yourself to be a rebel. I mean, so now what are you going to do? Though now's the time to set the groundwork through submission so that if the time ever comes, you need to obey God rather than men. You've got a right to do it. Earn that right through submission. Good. Good point. Somebody else. Yes. Brother Neil.
Amen. That's good. Thank you, Brother Neil. The voice of a humble, submitted man will be respected much more than proud men of the highway. Amen. Thank you. You all look like you have some thoughts. I think you guys do too. You say what? good illustration the three hebrew children you know if the if they hadn't been submissive all the way up to that point they would have never been in that place you know among the soldier the, the the rulers of the land they were they were held pretty high because they had submitted up until that point and been respectful and now they had a right they'd earned that right before god before men to stay standing when everybody else was bowing and uh and God used them. Great, uh, great illustration. Anybody else? I thought you were going to say you can't read the word of God on certain lifestyles, but uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Anything else? Timmy, do you have a song ready for us in a little bit? Okay. Anybody else have anything you'd like to say? Let's do this. Usually we sing first.
pray second. We're dismissed. Let's do the opposite. Let's stand. We're going to pray. Brother Neil, would you lead us in just a second before we stand, though? Um, going to have you pray for us in dismissal. And then we'll have the song in closing. And then we're going to have to make a decision where we're going for lunch, which we're going to first choice is going to be the uh, the park. But it's got to be open. If it's not open, we'll have to choose somewhere else. So um, let's we'll let you know. I guess let's just put it that way. But let's go ahead and stand right now. Brother Neil, if you lead us in prayer. And then if you have a song ready to sing after that. Timothy, you want to lead us in the song, and then we'll be just.